Hello, I'm Ed James and welcome to our second podcast in the Heritage series. The Birmingham Hippodrome has launched its Heritage Project as a way to find out more about the Hippodrome's past and the history behind this amazing theatre. Now, no-one does Panto quite like the Birmingham Hippodrome, so I thought it'd be well worth chatting to a very good friend of the theatre about the history of pantomime ahead of Aladdin opening this December. Nigel Ellicott, um, pantomime dame, 42 years, I think. I think it's 42. Who's counting? Who's Who's counting? counting? Is it safe to say, or is it fair to describe you as a pantomime expert? Um, by default, yes. Okay. I've, I've got a website called itsbehindyou.com okay. and it's been set up for about, I suppose it's been going 15 years now. And as a result, I tend to get, yes. And okay. I, have, I have quite a nice archive, which is why I'm so, so deliriously happy about what's happening here at the Hippodrome at the moment because my personal archive um, is very important to me and, and it's fabulous to know the items here now people are bringing in today. Actually, they're bringing in authentic... I've got some of my own. Uh, bringing in items that we can leave with an archive here that we can have oral histories that, that this theatre, which has got such an amazing uh, history, is going to carry on for generations in the future. And Panto at the Hippodrome is key, isn't it? Yeah. How did it start? Um, how did it start? It didn't start here. I mean, this was never the principal pantomime house... Uh, this was a variety house, and so it, it takes on pantomimes a lot later. I mean, I can remember as a kid, uh, at one point, um, the Alex was going to be the centre of pantomimes. That was where the big Apollo um, Apollo pantomimes were put on. That's where I'd see somebody like Barbara Windsor okay. uh, in panto. But then the Hippodrome, there's an amazing about turn. It had always put pantomimes on throughout, but now suddenly the game is up to now it's the principal pantomime house in the country. So what, what, what year did it really start to up the game then? Roughly, I would say, you're talking about 60s into 70s, okay. is when it starts to become really, really top of the range. By the 80s and 90s, we're starting to go, whoa, top of the range. And now, of course, it is the premier panto house. So just talk us through, because, I mean, there's been some huge stars on the stage in Panto here. Just, can we have an overview of, of, of who's been here over the years? Uh, the king of this building is Brian Connolly. Uh, I think he probably has had more pantomime successes and appearances in this building. And I think, if I'm right, he celebrated his... 600. Six hundredth, not birthday, but... <laughs> it's not that old. <laughs> <laughs> it's 600th appearance show, yeah. uh, show here. At, yeah, and I can remember um, Peter Todd, who will be, you know, the, the, the manager of this building. Peter um, was so excited uh, when Jolson came here and there was a fabulous effect, which was uh, you could actually walk through the screen so that the screen showed the original Jolson and then Brian walked through the middle of the screen because it was made out of very thick rubber bands and it was amazing um and this is his premier home this is if you said to brian where's your home he would say the hippo we have done and he did oh well there you go it (laughs) it is his home genuinely yeah what is it like to be on stage with him what uh, this will probably surprise people because when you see brian you think there's a lot of mucking around and messing about no brian is a total perfectionist there is nothing done that has not been rehearsed honed toned and then presented to the audience and this is the impressive bit in exactly the same way every night as if it's the first time he's ever done it that is the skill you're genuinely working with a 
with a pro who at, at no point do you ever think, oh, he's gone off on one. What's he talking about? Oh, he's doing what? Never. What you get, you would swear it is the first time that it's ever occurred to him to say it. It's the first time he's ever heard it. He laughs at his own jokes. It, it is an absolute joy from my point of view because I kind of work the same way as well. Mm. If there's an accident, it's not an accident. Yeah. But that is a massive skill, isn't it? To do the same thing every night and make it look like it's off the cuff. That's, that's a heck of a skill. That is what we're paid for. Um, I think Paul Elliott, who put the pantomimes on here um, uh, when it was called E&B Productions, and he did the first ones with Brian, um, he would say to us, he would gather us together on, on the dress rehearsal and would say, the audience pays the same money every night. They want to see the same show. I want the audience to go away and tell their neighbours exactly the same thing every single night. Yeah. And that is, that is the skill. The other thing to add to it, and this is the thing that makes stars out of people like Brian, is energy. You're bringing professionalism, but you're bringing an energy, and that energy is what drives. Brian is a train driver. He gets into the train, usually about five minutes into the show, just give him five minutes of going, where's Brian, where's Brian? <laughs> Brian gets into the driving seat of the train, he presses the button and he takes that audience on a journey that does not stop until it reaches the station. Let's talk about the physical aspect because it's blooming draining, isn't it? Yes. I mean, to yes. do two shows a day, yeah. often for such a long run, how do you cope well, with it's that? it's not draining for Brian because <laughs> Brian has one costume... If he's playing buttons, one <laughs> costume, and oh dear, a finale. Oh gosh, I've got to change. The likes of me, 15. Wow, 15, yeah, 15 okay. 15 a show, that's 30 a day. Yeah, wow. That's draining. We live our lives. Pantomime dames who do what I do. Now, Andrew Ryan, who's coming here for this year's panto, Andrew will change about, ooh, 12 times, dozen times. Um, he, like me, will spend his entire show in a quick change room in the wing. We don't go to the dressing room. No. There isn't time. There isn't time. In this building, there really isn't time. When they built this new hippo, they must have thought that artists had some sort of mobility scooter to get them from the dressing room to the stage, because yeah. it's miles. Yeah, yeah. It really is miles. <laughs> Most theatres, you go, oh, you know. Are you there? Yeah, but yeah. no, not this okay. one. You can hear footfall coming along. <laughs> um, but we stay in the quick change room. If we're not on, we're changing. And when we change, we're talking about a luxury change is a minute, a minute, 15 seconds. A normal one is about 45 seconds, and that's wig, costume, shoes. How long does it take to get your face on? <clears throat> Me? Yeah. Seven minutes. Oh, OK, that's quick. Well, yeah, but I've been doing it 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well practised. It doesn't move, it just gets lower. It just kind of sounds... I'll tell you another thing about this building, the thing that... that really makes this building. I mean, not only is it the most professional pantomime house in the country, it's got the most amazing people who care about it. And all over the years when I've been here, I was first here 20 years ago in a panto. I was here before that in shows. But the wardrobe staff, who are more or less the same, they've hardly changed. A few have retired now. Elaine, for example, she's she's retired and moved on. Mm. But But... But Rowan and, and all the, the wonderful people who look after us backstage, they are home to perfection yeah. like Brian. They can get you in and out of your frock effortlessly, with speed, with grace, with amazing humour. Unless, in Rowan's case, it has anything to do with going near to ponies, because she's allergic. Is she them. really yes, allergic? Okay, she's not fond enough. of a Cinderella. <laughs> OK, fair enough. And finally, just, we love 
a panto. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. Yeah. How do you? How would you explain why it's such a big part of of Christmas and oh. why it's such a huge thing that we love every year? How long have you got? <laughs> Pantomime originally began in its infancy, and I'm talking about. I don't want to bore you, but if, if you're going back to to the 18th century, it began because entertainment was going around, maybe on the back of a cart, maybe it was playing a very, very small hall, a small venue, and it brought with it something called Commedia dell'arte, and we kind of liked it. We liked the characters. Only one of them remains nowadays of those, and that's, uh, well, I used to say you could go to the seaside to see him, Mr Punch. Yes. He's the last remaining character. Yeah, Pulcinello. So we liked that, but it wasn't quite good enough for us, so we also liked something called the Italian night scenes. We thought that was quite good. What we did was we took a bit of each, and then along came an absolute innovation. Around about middle of the uh, the 1850s suddenly we are putting a fairy story as this as the main part as the skeleton of our pantomime now that's working we like that to this we add words it's no longer just singing we're adding words by the 1880s you've got what we if you got an atardis and went back to 1888 you would recognize the pantomime as something we see today And the creation of an amazing man called Augustus Harris, he brought in the star system. He was the first person to think, how can I fill my theatre? I know what's popular, music hall. I will take the stars of the music hall... And put them on the stage. Put them in... Now, when I've got the comics, I don't know what to do. I know, I'll dress them up as ladies. They can be funny women. That's even funnier. Marvellous. He created what we have today... Why it survived is that it's adapted. It hasn't remained a period piece. It's not the good old days. It's not uh, somewhere that people think they have to dress up in a period costume. Topical, isn't it? It has got to be topical. It has got to be of the minute. And every year, producers are thinking, what can I add to my pantomime that will be of the second? We've had uh, gladiators. We've had Australians. We've had sports stars. (laughs) We've had Big Brother stars. We've had uh, television chefs. We've had all those things. At the moment, I'm not quite sure what the genre is at the moment. It's definitely for big, high special effects. Um, You'll see effects on stage here uh, that will blow your mind. Uh, uh, Full-size T-Rexes, flying carpets that Mm. go upside down, cars that fly across the auditorium. This is of the moment, 3D's pretty pretty hot at the moment. It's putting all those elements into a pantomime that make the kids want to go and see it, make the adults want to book it, and that is why it survived. Will it still be around in another 100 years? Um, even now, maybe 150 years after the first ghost gag, you put someone in a white sheet, comes on behind two people, goes woo-woo-woo. It's still funny, isn't it? It's still funny. 2,000 children... <laughs> <laughs> intrinsically, without knowing why they're doing it, like a passed-on yeah. memory will scream, it's behind you. Of course you. they will. That is why it will work, as long as children are not wired up to some machine, which I fear that in 100 years' time we will all be, we will all be logging ourselves on and charging our own batteries. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Fantastic to chat. My pleasure. Thank you so much. So, over the next 18 months, we have a team of archivists and volunteers working to compile all the memorabilia from the Hippodrome's past. One of these incredible people is Ivan Hurd, who, it's fair to say, has become a little bit of an encyclopaedia of the Hippodrome's history. Morecambe and Wise. OK. 
they first appeared here about 1952-53. Uh, Bruce Forsyth first appeared here about 1957, way down the bill. Uh, Des O'Connor the same. And he made his name by supporting pop acts in variety bills in the late 50s. We will speak more to Ivan in our next podcast. And don't forget, if you have anything you'd like to donate to the project, you can email archive at birminghamhippodrome.com. Thank you.